We have an absolute monster slate of games this weekend. Red River Shootout. We got Wisconsin, Michigan State, Alabama versus A&M, Notre Dame, USC, Penn State versus Iowa, LSU, Florida, and Florida State, Clemson. Let's talk some history and what we can learn from these matchups. Let's get into it. Hey, it was BYOG, bring your own guts. Fourth and five, the national championship on the line. Got the big man. I think Notre Dame got it right there. Put it on the board for Bama. Turn, turn, pulls free. And Lewis got it on the deflection. Lewis is going to score. It's picked off. Breaks free. They won't catch him, I don't believe. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown. He's going for the corner. He's got it. There goes Davis. Oh, my God. Davis. It's caught. It's caught. It's caught. Oh, was that a good game or what? Well, as I said, this weekend is about to be insane. I don't plan on getting off the couch once, probably from 9 a.m. This is a week where you want to watch College Game Day. And from 9 a.m. until about, I don't know, the nightcaps, which you got packed 12 after dark games, I'm guessing. So probably 1 in the morning I'll be going to bed on Saturday. It's going to be, it's going to be great. And we kick off the weekend with the Red River Shootout. Yes, it's called the Red River Shootout because that's way more badass and that's what it's always been called. I don't know why they stopped calling it that. I'm guessing for PC bullshit reasons, but who cares? The Red River Shootout, Oklahoma, Texas, Texas State Fair, Dallas, the Cotton Bowl, the original Cotton Bowl Stadium. This game is always fun for me. Now, a little bit of history because I said I'm going to talk some history and then talk what we can learn from these matchups. I remember one of the first Texas-Oklahoma games I remember watching was actually, I think, 2005, and that was the Vince Young year. And I think Texas was favored going into that game by a lot because they were doing, obviously, really good that year. But I think for Texas fans going into that game, there was still a lot of skepticism because Mac Brown had struggled to beat Oklahoma in his tenure at Texas. And it was kind of getting to the point where they were like, dude, if you're not going to beat Oklahoma, we might have to move on here. Obviously, that, that wouldn't matter because in 2005, Vince Young goes off, they absolutely destroy Oklahoma, and then they go win a national championship. And then Mac Brown fared pretty well against Oklahoma since then. There was obviously some losses, but it's, it's a big rivalry. And for me, that's really where that rivalry kicks off as far as recent history is concerned. I know there was, I think, 2002, the, the Sims game where Jeff Sims is dropping back and literally it gets picked off like in the like before the ball leaves his hands. It's intercepted by the guy in the end zone. I, I, I see highlights of that. That obviously is big. But when you look throughout history, you can't find... I mean, in the 80s and 90s, a lot of games where Texas and Oklahoma were both ranked very high. This rivalry, at least for me, really got kicked off as far as the ranked matchups, the national attention. Obviously, it's always been huge for the Big 12, huge for Oklahoma and Texas fans. You know, there are rivals. But as far as national scene, the 2005 game, I remember. And then 2006 through 9 is where this series was really intriguing to me. Same thing, we'll talk about Florida LSU in a little bit, but from 2006 to 2009, this rivalry got really fun for me as a kid watching. Remember, I'm a fifth grader in 05. I'm a sixth grader in 2006, and the 2006 game was the first game with Colt McCoy. And Colt McCoy would go on to be a big name in this rivalry, a big playmaker. But the first thing I remember in this 06 game wasn't actually Colt McCoy. So Texas got up, I think, seven nothing. And then about halfway through the second quarter, Adrian Peterson busts a crazy run down the sideline, takes it in for a touchdown. I mean, Adrian Peterson was one of the best college running backs I can remember watching. It wasn't until recently guys like Leonard Fournette and Dalvin Cook came along where I was like, wow, I think I'm seeing some players that are comparable to the Adrian Peterson I saw. Because watching Adrian Peterson play at Oklahoma was unbelievable. But anyway, Texas rallies in that game, and they're able to come away with the victory. Remember, Texas is defending national champs here, and Oklahoma played for the title in 2004, so you had some teams with recent history going at it. Texas was able to get the win. Same thing, you come in in 2007, 
This was the first game with Sam Bradford for Oklahoma. And this game is a was a barn burner, guys. I mean, to me, there's different ways to classify games. There's shootouts, which is just a bunch of offense. There's defensive battles, which is a lot of defense. And then a barn burner is where you get some scoring, and the offense does get really productive, but you feel like they earn it every step of the way. And there's turnovers, and there's defensive touchdowns, and big plays, and that's what this game was. So this game went back and forth the entire time. You had Oklahoma going on drives, making plays. You had Texas going down and making plays. I remember second quarter to tie the game, 14-14. Colt McCoy rolls out to the left and throws a back-end-zone pass to Jordan Shipley, who would also become a big, big name for Texas, especially in this rivalry. And the game was tied. You had a costly turnover in the third quarter by Texas, which got Oklahoma a momentum shift, and they go down. Long story short, this game is tied 21-21 for a while, and then eventually, midway towards the end, actually, of the fourth quarter, Oklahoma scores, making it 28-21, and then late in the game, Texas is trying to get their last drive together, and they can't convert a fourth down, and they lose, but it was just an epic battle, and that was really setting up for the 2008 game, which was kind of the pinnacle of this rivalry, where we had number one Oklahoma, number five Texas big big time matchup Sam Bradford Colt McCoy right Jordan Shipley versus Brian Royals you know you had Joaquin Iglesias all those guys it it, Texas would win this game but controversy later on Oklahoma would actually end up winning the Big 12 and go play for the national title even though this would be Oklahoma's only loss and Texas also would only have one loss but that's a story for another day this game was crazy one of the first plays I remember was the Jordan Shipley kick return for a touchdown. You had DeMarco Murray breaking some plays loose for Oklahoma. This game just went back and forth. I remember Jermaine uh, Gresham, I think that's his name. Yeah, number 18, the, the big tight end for Oklahoma that year. Tipped a ball. And then Brian Broyles, who was only a sophomore at the time, but would go, or maybe he was only a freshman in this game. Yeah, I think he was a freshman. He would go on to be a big receiver for Oklahoma, obviously. But he caught that ball off of a tip where like it almost hit the ground. And it was a touchdown there, and this game just went back and forth, and Texas was able to hold on and win this one. Just an all-time classic football game. And then you had the 2009 game where, hey, they're both good again. They come back, but Bradford was kind of had an injury. If you remember in 2009, Sam Bradford hurt his shoulder in the BYU kickoff game, and then he comes back. Because remember, he won the Heisman Trophy in 2008. And if he was eligible, he probably would have been one of the top picks in the draft, but he was only a sophomore at the time, the second true sophomore to win the Heisman behind Tim Tebow the year before. And he comes back, gets that insurance policy. Well, first game against BYU hurts the shoulder. Then he tries to come back in for the season, and it's in the Texas game where he takes another big hit, lands on that shoulder, and is just done for the season. And it was really tragic because it kind of ruined the game a little bit, and it just... You know, you want your best players to play, but it did give way to Landry Jones, who then became the next big Oklahoma quarterback, because if you play quarterback at Oklahoma, you're just, you're going to be great. That's just how it works there, apparently. I don't know what they, what type of water they're drinking in, in Norman, but if you play quarterback in Oklahoma, you're, you're going to be good, at least while you're at Oklahoma anyway. And obviously, you can tell that with the recent history with, you know, Mayfield and then Kyler Murray, and now look what Jalen Hurts is doing. But anyway, back to that game, so... Sam Bradford goes down, Texas holds on, they get the win that year, they go play for the national championship, they lose, and what's actually funny is in that national championship game, early, early on in the game, Colt McCoy takes an injury, or takes a hit, which results in a shoulder injury for him, and he kind of misses that entire game. And even though that game was still pretty good, it kind of tainted that moment for me as just a college football fan, I'm sure Alabama fans don't care, but... For me as a college football fan, that moment was kind of tainted because I was expecting this big-time college football national championship at the Rose Bowl between Alabama and Texas. I figured it would be like the USC-Texas game, and and it was closer than people would think after the injury. Texas did rally and almost make that game close in the end, but without Colt McCoy, just one of the main figureheads in college football for like three years there, that really sucked, but... Anyway, so that was like a really good run in the rivalry for me. From 2006 to 2009, Colt McCoy, Sam Bradford, the back and forth, just really, really good games. Like, for me, that's what that rivalry will always be. 
because I was a kid watching those games, and I'll just I'll never forget them. I rewatched them the other day, and I get goosebumps every time, especially that 2008 game, man. But since those years, Texas has kind of fallen off a little bit, and Oklahoma's stayed pretty consistent. They're still, you know, a top 10 team every year. Recently, you know, a top five team every year, although they just can't get over that hump and win a title or a playoff game. But in this rivalry, the underdog has kind of had the number. So there's been a couple years recently where Texas kind of had no business beating Oklahoma, and they did. Uh, I remember, I think it was two years ago, Charlie Strong's last year with Texas. And going into that year, you knew he's probably getting fired, right? And they lost some games early to games they shouldn't have. But then they still were able to beat Oklahoma that year. You know, it was a big deal. And then last year felt like the first time that the rivalry was getting back to what I remember it during those years of, you know, 2007, 2008 years. Last year, we had a good back and forth game between two teams that felt like top 15, top 10 teams. You got Sam Ellinger making plays. Little Jordan Humphrey was catching touchdowns for Texas going off. Right, Oklahoma was keeping it close with their guys. Kyler Murray's making plays. But if you remember, that was the only game Oklahoma lost last year. They ended up falling short. Now, they would avenge that loss because the way the Big 12 works now is you get a rematch in the Big 12 championship game if they're the best two teams because they don't have divisions. They do the round-robin thing. And last year, that's what happened. Texas and Oklahoma rematched in the Big 12 championship game, and Oklahoma did win that game, and that's what catapulted them into the college football playoff last year before they would lose to Bama. So this year, it feels like the next step. If I'm taking an analogy, I'm saying that, hey, last year was kind of like 2006, right? You got Sam Ellinger Young, you know, Oklahoma's doing what they're doing. They're really coming along. This year could be like 2007 or 2008, you know, and then hopefully next year we get like a top five matchup. Now, this game probably would be a top five matchup if Texas was able to hold on and beat LSU earlier in the year, but they fell short in that game, so we got Texas is ranked 11th right now, and Oklahoma is ranked 6th going into this game. Now, my gut wants to tell me that Texas can pull this game off, but they won last year, so this game does go back and forth a lot, but here's the thing. If Texas loses, they can pretty much wave goodbye their playoff hopes now with the two losses. Now, if they win this game... They are right back in contention for the playoff because you know for a fact that if Texas goes 12-1, and wins the Big 12, and their only loss being to LSU, who looks phenomenal so far, then they can pretty much pencil their name into the playoff. But Oklahoma is playing great. You know, that that's the thing. Oklahoma looks like they basically didn't even skip a beat, losing Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts steps in, and although his game's a little different... It's almost better in some ways, which is crazy to think about, right? I mean, the things we've been saying about these Oklahoma quarterbacks and the improvement with the offense under Lincoln Riley, I mean, Lincoln Riley's clearly a freaking genius. It's going to be a miracle if he stays at Oklahoma, if an NFL team doesn't come in and just give him, you know, a lottery lump sum of money to coach their team. But if you look at it, right, we had Baker Mayfield, who was phenomenal, won the Heisman, and then... The year after, Kyler Murray comes in, and you're like, wow, he might be even better. And then he wins the Heisman. And now Jalen Hurts comes in, and it's like, holy cow. And like I said, I wouldn't quite say that he's better, but he is different and does bring some other elements, right? Kyler kind of scrambles the way that Michael Vick and, like, Russell Wilson do. And then when he gets running downfield, he's almost like a shifty, like, slot receiver running back with the ball, right? Like a track star. Jalen Hurts is the type of guy that... He can make cuts more like a running back, but he's also big and physical. He's kind of hard to bring down. So it's just been able to make this offense so dynamic. And Lincoln Riley is a quarterback whisperer. I mean, holy cow, the things he's able to do with these guys is insane. And what he's able to do with this offense, it's such a simple yet complicated offense that works so well. And honestly, you would think this game kind of has to be a shootout too because Texas's defense didn't look great against LSU. I mean, that was a high-scoring game. And Oklahoma's defense does look a little bit better than last year. So, I don't know. It's really tough to say, but I would probably give the slight nod to Oklahoma just because history tells us this game goes back and forth. Texas won last year. But Oklahoma did win the last matchup, but that was the Big 12 championship game, so it depends on how you want to look at that. 
it doesn't matter. Predictions aren't that big of a deal to me. What is important is to look at what this game will mean for the season. And like I said, if Texas wins, you now have a Big 12 race that's heating up like crazy. And Oklahoma would still totally be alive for the playoff because they would just have the one loss and it's to a good Texas team. And they would have the chance, if they were on the table, to rematch with that Texas team and do exactly what they did last year to get themselves in the playoff. Texas, on the other hand, because they lost to LSU, this is kind of a do-or-die situation for them as far as playoff is concerned. Not as far as Big 12 champions concerned or New Year's Six Bowl berth is concerned. Most likely, we'll probably see both of these teams in New Year's Six games. But realistically, the odds are one of them will be in the playoff and one of them will be in, in a New Year's Six game that isn't the playoff. And you know that Texas hasn't been in a, in a playoff game or national championship situation since that 2009 game where they lost to Alabama. And they're very hungry right now, and rightfully so, right? Tom Herman has them in the right direction. Rough first year, but when you take over a program in the shape Texas was in, that happens. Last year, they show that they're basically there. They still lose some games that they shouldn't have, right? And then West Virginia beats them, but West Virginia was good last year. They just, they weren't quite there, but they go in and they beat Georgia in that Sugar Bowl last year. So Texas is right there. And as a college football fan, I think I'm kind of rooting for Texas just because that way they're still alive for the playoff. Oklahoma would still be alive for the playoff. And because we've entered this era, which I'm not a huge fan of, where we kind of only focus on the playoff and nothing else matters, you want to live in a world where as many teams are alive for the playoff as long as possible, right? Last year, it kind of felt like you had Alabama and Oklahoma, and I mean, Alabama and Clemson, sorry. And then, yeah, you and you just felt like they were going to, one of them was going to be the champion. And yeah, there were the two other spots that had to be filled. You saw Notre Dame going undefeated, so then it looked like they were going to take it. But we've been stuck in this slump. You know, Alabama makes the playoff every freaking year which is great, you know, nothing against Alabama. I'm not hating on Alabama or hating on SEC or any of that stuff. But as a college football fan, it would be nice to see maybe another team emerge out of the SEC, you know, which is good for the SEC, by the way, right? Because they're the best conference in football, which I'm not going to take away from them. But you lose a little bit of credibility when it's the same team over and over and over and over, right? So it would be nice to see an LSU, a Florida, as sick as that would be for me as a Knoll fan, but... A team other than Bama, right? And right now, Auburn's still alive in the SEC with just that one loss. LSU's alive and well undefeated. Alabama's alive, right? Florida's alive. Obviously, Georgia's alive. So the SEC race is awesome. And all you can really hope for is that the other conference races step up to that. So speaking of the SEC, let's jump into the nightcap, which is another game I am super, super excited for. I'm really glad this is the nightcap because this game should just always be played at night, especially when it's a top 10 matchup like it is. And that is number five, LSU versus number seven, Florida. This game's in Death Valley, in Baton Rouge. And before we get into this game, let's talk about some of the classics, right? So... I was just re-watching a bunch of these classic games, and some of them I obviously wasn't alive for, don't remember watching, like the 90s game. So in 96, you had Florida just boat race LSU on their way to a national championship. And then in 97, you got this classic game out of it, right? So in 97, LSU comes in looking for revenge, Florida's the defending national champions, and you do get this back and forth epic game, right? And just think of the players, right? LSU has Kevin Falk, who became just an, an NFL legend, a college football legend, just a, a football player legend, right, in Kevin Falk. Florida, right, this is the year, so they don't have Danny Warfel anymore, so the quarterback play takes a step down, but they still have Rodale Anthony, right, they have Fred Taylor at running back, who went on to be a big-time NFL running back, and this game went back and forth, and LSU did win this game, I think it was like 28-21 or something like that, they, they get that game in a revenge game, then you have the 98 game where Florida gets their revenge. That game was also back and forth. And even though that game looked like it was going to be over early, LSU makes it close. And then you have another classic. But for me, just like the Oklahoma-Texas series, pretty much the exact same years are the years where this rivalry was the main one for me in the SEC. Now, in the recent memory, like the last 10, 11 years almost, you think of the SEC as the the LSU Alabama game. But there was a time right before that where Saban hadn't come in yet 
And the real game in the SEC every year was Alabama, or sorry, was LSU and Florida. And it really got going in 2006. So in 2006, you have this classic game. This one is played in Gainesville, I believe. Yes, yeah, it was in Gainesville. And you have Chris Leak for Florida. Remember, Urban Meyer's the coach. And they go into this back and forth game with LSU. And remember, this is when LSU still has Jimbo Fisher. So Jamarcus Russell is the quarterback. And they have a pretty high-flying offense, a lot different than what LSU would become in the next decade and a half, right, where they were more of a double-tight run team. Jacob Hester would score a touchdown early. Freaking loved that guy. He was one of my favorite players to watch growing up, but he scored a touchdown early. Then later, Florida punts. LSU muffs it. That would lead to a Florida score. Then right before halftime with about two minutes left, Jamarcus Russell throws a pick down the sideline. Florida's able to then make a drive out of that and score before halftime, pushing the lead to 14-7. to But the momentum really shifted to Florida at the start of the second half kickoff. So on the kickoff, Florida kicks it down to LSU, and the one of their wide receivers, Doucette, was his last name, number nine, I'm pretty sure. He is kind of scrambling for the ball. So he, he catches it at like the five or three yard line, kind of drops it, and then is like spinning around to grab it as he picks it up, and then right when he gets his head back downfield, he gets blasted by a Florida guy, knocks him and the ball back into the end zone, then there's a scramble for the ball. An LSU player recovers it, but that's still a safety. So Florida gets a safety, and the stadium erupts, and that kind of changed the momentum in the game. From then on, there was no looking back for the Gators, and they went on to win that one 23-10 before they would go on and win the national championship that year against Ohio State. Now, fast forward one year to the 2007 game. This one, to me, is the best game of all of them and the one I remember the most. So in this one, LSU came in number one. They were preseason number one, even though Florida won the national title. And this was the year that Tebow took over. Tebow was a freshman in 06. He made some plays and games, but Chris Leak was the starter. Now Tebow's the full-blown starter, and he would win the Heisman this year. Now what was crazy in this game, and remember, this game is in Baton Rouge, Florida really felt like they had control of the game for probably the majority of it. They have a 10-point lead well into the second quarter. They're up 10-0. They had got a field goal early. Then Joe Hayden, as a freshman, gets a big interception, which they convert into a touchdown. And it's kind of looking like they're taking control. And then finally, with about halfway through the second quarter there, LSU finally mounts a drive on offense. They go down the field. They score. They cut the lead to 10 to 7, and they're right back in the game. However, it was pretty short-lived because on the next drive, Right before halftime, Tebow takes the Gators down the field on a pretty good drive, and they score a touchdown. I think, yeah, Tebow runs it in himself right before halftime. So now they're back on top. Now it's 17-7 to all of a sudden. And then you really see the resiliency from LSU in the second half. So early third quarter, LSU's down, going down the field. They line up for a field goal. They fake it. Matt Flynn runs, gets the first down, and then... They give the ball to Keenan Williams, I believe. He takes it around the corner for a touchdown. So now they're back within three points. This game really starts to heat up. But Florida answers right back. And they literally, either the next drive or a couple drives later, they go right down the field, a couple chunk plays. And then Tebow finds a wide open Cornelius Ingram down the sideline. He runs it in. He scores. And this was crucial because you really felt the air get sucked out of the stadium in that moment, right? They had just started out the third quarter strong they pull within seven and then all of a sudden nope the gators go right down the field they score and now it's 24 to 14 out of nowhere and you really felt like okay florida's got this game i remember thinking like florida's got this right the momentum defending champions they're the more resilient bunch but then a key thing happened right as the third quarter was ending LSU had punted. Florida's got the ball again. They just crossed midfield. You're thinking well, they might get a field goal or maybe even a touchdown. And if that happened, I really think the game would have been over. But they fumble. There's a bad exchange, and Florida fumbles. LSU gets it right at midfield, and the crowd's back in it. LSU players are pumped, and this is where the tide really started to turn in LSU's favor. Now, LSU would miss a field goal like right after that which, again, is one of those things where you're thinking, okay, maybe they, they aren't going to get this done. Well, 
Their defense holds strong. They get the ball back. They finally go on a good offensive drive. Trenton Holiday takes a nice reverse down the sideline to set up the touchdown, and then they score a couple plays later, and they're right back in it now, right? It's now 24-21, and we're midway through the fourth quarter. And what's crazy is after that, Florida punts. LSU gets the ball back with just under eight minutes left, and they're way back on their own like 30-yard line. And they basically go on a drive that ends the game here. So they slowly are making their way down the field. Next thing you know, you look up, and they're near the goal line, and now there's only like a minute or so left. So this became basically the game-winning drive. And first and goal, they don't get it. You know, they're, they're going in, and eventually they give the ball to Jacob Hester right up the middle. He makes his way into the end zone, gets the touchdown, and for the first time in the night, LSU takes the lead, and they go on to knock off the defending national champion Gators, and then they would go on to win the national championship in 2007, also against Ohio State. So that was just one of the most classic, greatest games for me in this LSU-Florida series that I remember watching. You know, the resiliency of LSU, but going up against a resilient Florida team led by Tim Tebow, who, you know, Tebow is just awesome. And that set up big time for the following year, 2008. This game goes back to Gainesville. And LSU's like number three going to this game. And Florida had just dropped that game to Ole Miss, right? You remember they lose the Ole Miss game. Tebow makes the promise. So going into that game, a lot of people thought, okay, LSU's got this. And maybe Florida isn't what they are. Well, Florida just came into that game showing their freaking speed, flexing their muscles. And they just destroyed LSU in that game. It was one of those blowouts where you're just like, wow. You know, this team looks like a whole nother team. And from that moment forward, you really felt like the Gators were probably the best team in the nation, right? Percy Harvin went off in that game. You had the freshman Jeffrey Demps showing how fast he was. Tebow doing his thing. Lewis Murphy getting loose. That 2008 game was crazy. And then in 2009, you had a really big defensive battle between the two teams, right? This was kind of like the pinnacle of that three, four-year run in the series with Tebow, with all those guys, you know, Brandon Spikes. And there just wasn't much offense in that game from either team, right? Just think a classic, like, 1970s, 1980s SEC game. It felt like it was 13-3 to Florida, like, the entire game. And I think that would end up being the final score, if I'm not mistaken. Like, LSU just couldn't get anything going on offense. This was the first year or maybe the second year of, like, the Jarrett Lee, Jordan Jefferson back and forth. And that just wasn't going to be enough to, to score on the Florida defense that night. So Florida holds on, and they win that game. And then, of course, you know, after 2009, Urban Meyer leaves. Well, Urban Meyer left in 10, but in 2010, Florida significantly – dropped off compared to how they were from like, you know, 06 to 08 or 09. And the rivalry kind of went away for a little bit. Then in 2012, we get a big Florida LSU game. And that game was really similar to 09. It was a, a really big defensive showdown. And if it wasn't for a late touchdown by the running back Gillisley for Florida, they wouldn't have won that game in 2012. The 2015 game was pretty good, and then last year was good because it was just it was kind of a shocker. Florida wasn't supposed to win, but they did go in there and win, right? Florida was pretty bad. Outside of 2012, Florida hasn't been really good this decade. I mean, they were okay in 15, even though they finished bad. They were okay in 16, even though they finished bad again. 17, they were god-awful. I think they went like 4-7 and seven or something, or maybe four and eight, five and seven, something like that. They they had a bad season. Last year, though, first year with Dan Mullen, Florida turns it around. They win 10 games, and they do beat LSU. And now they look like they're really rolling. And a lot of people didn't give them a lot of credit going into this year. But after that Auburn game, I think people are finally starting to realize, hey, this Florida team's legit. And what people are doing is they're comparing how teams look versus how teams are playing in the intensity and the heart that's that the players are using to get these victories right so you look at the sec and you look at alabama well they're just alabama they're scoring a bunch of touchdowns they look crazy you know they win it every year so they are who they are then you look at lsu and you're like oh lsu is always good but now they're scoring a bunch of touchdowns they look awesome and then georgia's made a name for themselves the last couple of years the kirby smart they played for the national title they almost made the playoff again last year so we know how good Georgia is. Georgia beats Georgia beats Notre Dame, right? Where Florida this year, people are, are pretty skeptical, right? They win that opener against Miami. 
okay. Well, now it looks like Miami's not that great of a team. They've dropped two more games since then. And you're like, okay, what is Florida made of, right? Florida loses their starting quarterback, Felipe Franks, to Kentucky. And now this other guy, Trask, comes in, who turns out is pretty good. And then going to that Auburn game last week, we're like, okay, a lot of people had Auburn favored. They just thought Auburn was going to get it done. And Bo Nix, the Auburn quarterback, did not play well. So it's like, how much credit do you give the Florida defense for making him play well versus, hey, was he just a freshman who was going to make mistakes eventually? That could have been inevitable. But either way you look at it, that Florida team has a lot of heart right now. They knock off Auburn, and now they're going to this LSU game believing, right, with hype. And when you believe, a lot of things can happen. And LSU, they know this is a huge game, but people have already been talking a lot about LSU-Bama, LSU-Bama. And you hope that LSU and Bama both stay focused enough to where they don't drop a game or something before that that they shouldn't. Now, this game's a top 10 matchup. And it's nice because both these teams are undefeated. So as a college football fan, you really don't care who wins or loses, right? Because the loser of this game, especially if it's close, is still going to be totally alive for the playoff. It's not a division game for either of these teams. So there's no head-to-head -head loss that's going to affect them, right? If, if Florida loses this game, they just have to beat Georgia to win their division. If LSU loses this game, they just have to beat Alabama, and they'll probably win their division. So this is a huge game four playoff implications, but the winner of this game is going to have a big leg up, and the loser of this game is just going to have more pressure to not take on that second loss if they want to make the playoff, but I just really hope we get a big time game for this. I hope that both teams look top 10 so that when it's over, whoever loses you still feel like is, is alive and has a chance to win the playoff, and I'm kind of just hoping for chaos in the SEC, right? I'm kind of hoping they all beat each other, and you have no choice but to just de facto go with the SEC champion. But make no mistake, this LSU-Florida game is going to be key in deciding where that goes, right? So Auburn already has one loss, but technically they're still alive. Now you look at Auburn's schedule and you expect them to at least lose one more game considering they still have to play Georgia, LSU, and Alabama. And they already have now the one loss to Florida. But, you know, anything's possible. If Auburn won out, they'd easily be in the playoff, you know, no questions asked. And, you know, there's three or four other SEC teams that are all are alive right now and have big shots at making it. So this game's going to mean a lot. Super excited for it. It just feels like I'm a kid again, you know, with Texas, Oklahoma, and Florida LSU both being these big top 15 matchups with a lot of, you know, postseason implications. It just reminds me of those those 2006 to 2008, nine years where, again, me as a kid, that was those were my first real big four-year stretches of really getting involved in the sport of college football and just falling in love with it. And a lot of it was because of those games. So it's just really cool to get back to a point where those teams are really relevant and squaring off again. Now, another matchup this weekend that I grew up watching become really relevant over the years, where this year it's not so relevant, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but that's the Florida State-Clemson game, right? And this isn't supposed to be that big of a test for Clemson, obviously, because Clemson's a 28.5-point favorite. But if you look at Clemson's remaining schedule, and then you look at the way Florida State's kind of been playing recently, this might be the last sort of decent test Clemson has. Now, you know my theory. I've been saying that Clemson can lose a game and still make the playoff just because I think that's kind of how the committee does it, right? If you're a 12-1 Power 5 conference champion, you're probably making the playoff, especially when we look at right now that, you know, the, the Pac-12 is kind of eating itself up. Unless Oregon wins out, the Pac-12 probably isn't going to have a playoff representative. And it's just kind of hard to see Oregon winning out because they still play some tough teams and they didn't look great against Cal who didn't even have their starting quarterback and they were at home for that game. So in my opinion, the Pac-12 is not going to have a playoff team. Once again, you know, Washington already has two losses. USC already has two losses and still has to play some tough games. Utah maybe could rally, but I still think that a Clemson that's 12-1 and with an ACC champion would get the nod over, let's say, a Utah Maybe even in Oregon. I mean, Oregon's got the fact that their loss is to a good Auburn team. But it's just going to depend on how those teams look down the stretch. So I don't necessarily think that a loss knocks Clemson out, but it definitely puts them in big, big trouble. 
And obviously, you guys know I'm a huge Florida State fan, so I'll be rooting for Florida State. But it's just kind of scary to think this would be the biggest upset that we would have pulled in a long time. And it, and it's sad because I just told you all that history about those two games. Another game with a lot of history, especially recently, has been the Florida State-Clemson game. The winner of the Florida State-Clemson game has gone on to win the, the ACC every year since 2010. The winner of that game has won the division every year going back to 2009. So in all of those games from 2009 to 2017, these were all classic back-and-forth games, right? You had Dabo Sweeney coming up with Jimbo Fisher, and it seemed like every year both these programs and teams got better, and the ACC got better, right? So in 2009, they're both kind of mediocre, but you get a good game. Clemson wins, which gives them the division championship. They go on to the ACC championship where they lose to Georgia Tech. And then in 2010, they're both a little bit better. This is Jimbo Fisher's first full year as head coach, and same with Dabo Sweeney because he took over in 09. And that game's a back-and-forth game, kind of a defensive battle, and Florida State wins on a 55-yard field goal walk-off at the end which was just phenomenal. Dustin Hopkins just drilled that field goal. And I remember watching like that. That thing would have been good from 65 yards, guys. I mean, it was just, he rocked that thing, right? So Florida State wins that game. 2011, they're both even better. Now they're both ranked in the top like 10, top 15 going to this game in Death Valley. Florida State had just lost the week before to Oklahoma, who was number one in the nation. And their starting quarterback, E.J. Manuel, was out. So they go into this game a little handicapped. But this is the game where Sammy Watkins came alive, right? The week before, he went off against Auburn. Clemson beats Auburn, and now he just does the same thing. He's a true freshman, and you had Taj Boyd, right? But also, this was a coming-out party for Rashad Green at Florida State. This was just a really fun game for wide receivers, right? You had Rashad Green at Florida State catch some big ones. Rodney Smith caught a deep touchdown for Florida State. And then you had DeAndre Hopkins and Sammy Watkins just going crazy at Clemson. This game went back and forth, but in the end, Clemson's defense kind of shut Florida State down a little bit in the fourth quarter, and they end up getting the win. And of course, they would go on to win the ACC championship in 2011. Then 2012 is where this game really became the marquee pinnacle matchup of the ACC. So like I said, they had been coming up together. Now we're in 2012. Florida State's number four. Clemson's like number nine. It's a top 10 matchup. This game's in Doak. And the offensive firepower in this game was just absolutely insane. Let me just list to you all these future NFL players on both sides. So on Florida State, you have EJ Manuel, Devontae Freeman at running back, Chris Thompson, who just went off in this game, right? You have Kelvin Benjamin, Rashad Green. On the defensive side of Florida State, you got guys like Timmy Jernigan, LaMarcus Joyner, Bjorn Warner, right? Tank Carradine, Xavier Rhodes, Terrence Brooks, right? Telvin Smith, the list goes on and on and on. Now I'll go to the Clemson side. Look who the offense was for Clemson in this game. Quarterback Taj Boyd, who before Watson and now Lawrence come into Clemson, he was probably the best quarterback they had, just a big time playmaker. This was his junior year. So you have Taj Boyd at quarterback. Oh, at receiver, you just got guys like Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, Marlon Humphrey, Right, And then at running back, they had Andre Ellington, who was a big-time playmaker. So this game just had a ton of NFL talent, a ton of offensive firepower, and it was a barn burner, right? There was a lot of defensive plays, but the offenses were going off in this game. I think, like, second play of the game, Taj Boyd hits Hopkins down the middle of the field for a long touchdown, right? Then Florida State goes on a drive. They come down the field. Lonnie Pryor scores. Clemson then answers right back. It's, it's going back and forth. It's 14-14. And what's crazy about this game is Clemson takes, a, I think it was 21-14 at halftime. Then in the third quarter, one of Clemson's first drives, either their first or second drive, they run a trick play, like some sort of like pass back to the quarterback who then throws it down to... Andre Ellington, who kind of tricked the defenders, he scores. So now Clemson's up 28-14. to 14. And Florida State fans are thinking, ah, here we go again, right? Like every year, we think we're right there with Jimbo Fisher and this staff. We think we're going to be a top-five team. But we lose that big home game or that big game that really would show us that we are where we want to be. But Florida State's resilient. They bounce back. They score. 
Chris Thompson's making huge plays at the running back position. The defense is stepping up. And then eventually, about midway through the fourth or third quarter, sorry, Florida State's driving, and E.G. Manuel hits Rodney Smith for a touchdown, and we finally take the lead in the game. And I think Clemson would score again, but from that point over, Florida State just had all the momentum, and they end a classic game with an interception late to seal it, right? So you had another crazy big-time Florida State-Clemson game. That would set up for going into 2013, where Clemson had a lot of the hype, right? Clemson beats Georgia at home in Week 1 in 2013. And a lot of people had kind of written off Florida State because they lost a ton of talent. They lost their quarterback. They lost a lot of guys on defense. Little did a lot of people know that Jameis Winston was going to come in and be the replacement. So Winston comes in, and Florida State's having a good season. They're blowing people out. But Clemson looks really, really good. And you have a number three versus number five matchup in November in Death Valley. And I'll be honest, as a Florida State fan, I knew we were really good this year up at this point. But I was just like, hey, we don't win at Clemson. That's just not something we do. And Clemson looked great. And they were great that year. And this is one of the greatest memories the Florida State fans have is Florida State went into Death Valley and just absolutely kicked the shit out of Clemson this game. Very first play, LaMarcus Joyner causes a fumble. Two plays later, Jameis throws a rocket to Kelvin Benjamin in the end zone, scores. Then on the next Clemson drive, they're coming down the field. LaMarcus Joyner hits Taj Boyd super hard, forcing a fumble. Mario Edwards, the big defensive end, takes it in, scores. All of a sudden, it's 17 to nothing in Death Valley. And you're like, holy cow. Now, I was a little skeptical. I was having flashbacks to the 2009 game where Florida State also had a 17-point lead early and then blew the whole thing away because, again, this game is in Death Valley. And as I was growing up, Florida State just didn't beat Clemson in Death Valley. And we haven't beat them there since this game. So I was a little skeptical, but I'm really pumped up, right? Now Clemson does go down the field and score. All of a sudden, it's 17-7. to and You're thinking, okay, it's happening again. And then the play that really put it away was a couple drives later, Jameis Winston hits Rashad Green on kind of like a little curl route. It was only like a five, six-yard curl route. He takes it, he jukes the guy out, and then just puts the barn burners on and books it down the sideline, scores an in a touchdown, hushes the crowd, and from there on, it was just a full-on blowout. Clemson couldn't do anything. Florida State offense looked unstoppable. Jameis Winston looked like freaking Peyton Manning out there. It was just unbelievable. And that's when you realize as a Florida State fan, oh my gosh, we are freaking good this year. We're better than we were last year. And of course, Florida State would go on to win the national championship that year. They would win the ACC. But Clemson still had a great season. They finished 10-2 and in the regular season, and they go to the Orange Bowl, and they beat like a 12-1 and Ohio State team that was really good, led by Braxton Miller. The bowl games in 2013 were just phenomenal, right? The Rose Bowl was great that year. You had Michigan State and Stanford. The Orange Bowl was great. That was the Clemson game. And, of course, you know, the national championship, Florida State beating Auburn. I was there. Greatest day of my life, right? So that was big time. You fast forward to 2014. This year, Clemson loses their opener to Georgia. It's kind of close, but Gurley kind of goes off at the end, right? And they lost Taj Boyd. So they're trying to figure out who to replace at quarterback. And they have this guy named Cole Stout, who's like the senior, the guy that's been there, and he's starting, but they have this freshman named Deshaun Watson. Now, keep in mind, I'm a student at Florida State this year. And this was early September. This was like Florida State's third game, I think. I think we had that Oklahoma State kickoff game. Then we had the Citadel. Then we had a bye week. And then we had the Clemson game at home. College game days there. It's crazy. And, of course, there was all the controversy because that's when Jameis Winston had yelled out the meme, you know, the effer right in the, you know, meme that everyone used to say. Not a big deal, but when you're adults, you don't really realize that that's an internet meme and it's pretty vulgar. So he got a first-half suspension all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, they bump it up to a two, a full game suspension. I remember my buddy at the time, my roommate, one of my best friends, he was working at one of the clubs as a bouncer in Tallahassee. And I remember like going at like 2 in the morning to pick him up from, from his job. And as I'm driving there, I go by the stadium, and I can see they're already setting up college game day, right? It's like 2 in the morning. I should be in bed, but I'm like, you know, trying not to get restless for this game. And I pick up my, my roommate, my best friend from his job. He gets in the car and he's like, dude, did you hear? They bumped it up to a full game suspension tomorrow. And I was like, what? 
So we try to scramble for podcasts, so we turn on ESPN Radio, we couldn't find anything, it's like 2 in the morning, I get a notification on my phone, and it says, sure enough, yeah, they bumped the suspension to a full game. And we're like, oh, crap. So that meant that Sean McGuire, the backup, was going to have to play against Clemson. I mean, this is Clemson, right? We're, we got to win this game. So long story short, we go to college game day in the morning. Of course, that's what they're talking about, the Jameis Winston story and all that stuff. And then the game isn't until 8 p.m. So we get out there. We party all day. We tailgate. My buddy Ryan, my other best friend, was in town for the game. You know, we were just... It was a blast. This whole day was a blast. Tailgating, everything was super fun. We get into the game, and of course, it's another classic Florida State-Clemson game. It's going back and forth. It's more of a low-scoring game, right? This felt more like an SEC kind of defensive battle, kind of like those Florida-LSU games I was talking about. And about halfway through the second quarter, Clemson makes a change at quarterback. Now, I'm a nerd, right? So I knew who Deshaun Watson was. I remember the recruiting. I remember seeing him get in that Georgia game earlier, but... I didn't realize how good he was, and he comes in, and you're like, oh, okay, Clemson's got a guy. They've got a guy now, right? They've got a big-time playmaker. This game would end up going back and forth. The biggest memory for me was we were down 13 to 10, or no, sorry, I think it was 17 to 10. Yeah, we're down 17 to 10. It's fourth quarter. There's not a lot of offense going on all night. And then finally, Sean McGuire throws a big pass down the sideline. The defender falls down. Rashad Green catches the ball, runs in the end zone. The stadium just explodes. Probably the loudest memory I personally have at Doak. Again, I haven't been to every game at Doak, so I'm sure there's a lot of Florida State fans that can think of some louder memories. But for me, that was just the loudest thing I remember happening. He caught that touchdown, and we tied up the game. So now it's 17-17, and it would remain 17-17 for a while. Then Clemson's moving down the field. We get the ball. They get the ball. And then we're kind of backed up in our own territory. There's like a, two minutes left maybe, and Sean McGuire throws an interception. And they run it back into our territory, and you're thinking they're going to hit a field goal. They're going to win this game. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, what the heck's going on? Well, a couple plays later, they fumble. We, we recover a fumble with like 45 seconds left or just under a minute or something, and we send the game to overtime. Then you get to overtime, and Clemson gets the ball first, and they got a fourth and one. They go for it. They don't get it. Eddie, Eddie Goldman, Terrence Smith, all the defense steps up. They shut him down, and now you're thinking, okay, if we get a field goal, we win this game. We don't even have to kick a field goal. We hand the ball to Carlos Williams. He takes up the sideline, touchdown. We beat Clemson in overtime, and I'll never forget you know watching the broadcast later and just hearing you know, Fowler say, Florida State survives. And that's what it felt like. It felt like we just survived that game. Who knows what would have happened if Jameis played, but it was just an all-time classic game. One of the most fun games I've ever been to as a Florida State fan at Dote Campbell. Of course, Florida State would win the ACC championship that year, moving on, right? Now, 2015, it sets up to be a big game again. Only this time, Clemson is showing everybody that they're legit, right? Deshaun Watson's now the starting quarterback going into the season. They're beating everybody. They're doing good. And they actually get the number one ranking for the first time ever in their regular season history going into this Florida State game. And a couple weeks before this game, Florida State actually got upset by Georgia Tech. If you remember, there was the blocked field goal that Georgia Tech ran in for a touchdown. Don't remind me of that one. So Florida State's actually like number 15 or 16 going into this game, but it still feels like the typical... Florida State Clemson game that we're used to these last, you know, five years or so. This was actually my first time going to Death Valley. So this was a super fun moment for me. My dad and I, we traveled to Death Valley. My, my little sister was with us because she was considering maybe going to Clemson at the time. Thank God she didn't. But we go to this game and it was really, really fun to experience Death Valley, right? My first time being there. So we're getting all pumped for the game. We go into the stadium you know, it's big time, and let me tell you, that place is freaking loud. I've been to Autzen, I've been to the Swamp, I've been to Ohio State versus Michigan, I've been to Michigan State, I've been to the Big House at Michigan, and I honestly think the loudest place I've been to is Death Valley. At nighttime, when that place gets rocking, it is a whole nother thing. Got to see Clemson run down the hill, that was awesome to see in person finally. And then the first play of this game Dalvin Cook bust a huge run for a touchdown. I remember just 
I'm like around all these Clemson fans, but I'm just, you know, yelling, screaming, like, let's go, baby, right? We get that touchdown. Unfortunately, that would be the last big explosive offensive play Florida State would have. This game, another kind of defensive battle. It goes back and forth. It goes back and forth. We make plays. They make plays. Long story short, they're able to hold on. They score a touchdown late. And then when we have the ball and we're trying to get something done, we go for it on a fourth and one. And their defense shuts down Dalvin. It's almost like a reverse image of what we did to them the year before. So they win that game in Death Valley. And... They, of course, they go on to win the ACC. They go on to play for the national championship, but they lose that classic game to Bama. Okay, now fast forward to 2016. This is the first time that Clemson broke the streak because up until this point, all these big games I've been talking about, basically the home team won every one, right? From 2009 to 2015, as we're rising in the ACC together, we're splitting games. Basically, the home team's winning all of them except for when Florida State went in and beat Clemson. Well, this was the first time now in the recent history that Clemson would come in and beat Florida State in Doak. And in 2016, this game was also, you know, big back and forth, a lot of offensive plays. Dalvin Cook was going off in the second half, pulling us within a touchdown. All of a sudden, we get the lead. And there is that phantom chop block call that the refs made that pretty much cost Florida State the game. I don't want to get too much into that controversy, but as a fan of Florida State, that sucked. But either way, you got to give it to Clemson, being resilient. They go down, I think, Leggett. Um, scores the game-winning touchdown. Watson hits him in the end zone, and then Florida State has the ball late, but our offensive line wasn't holding up, and we we get sacked, and we don't convert. So Clemson wins that game. It was a classic, but we lost. Clemson would go on to win the ACC, and then they win the national championship that year, right? And that was the last time this game was like a top 10-15 matchup, top 5 matchup, right? Because in 2017, although the game was really close again, Florida State was kind of falling off. Remember, in 2017, Florida State loses their starting quarterback at the first game of the season, and then we lose some other games, lose to Miami, and the season's kind of falling apart, but we try to rally the season by beating Clemson in Death Valley. We don't win that game. We fall to like three and six after that. Of course, Clemson goes on to win the ACC again, and they lose in the playoff, right? And then last year, was really sad because Florida State just completely fell off the map, had a five and seven season. And if you remember the story of the game last year, it was just absolutely embarrassing. Clemson wins like 56 to 10. You had Dabo Sweeney putting his son in the game. That's how bad it was. That's where the meme of the Florida State fans sitting up in the stands shirtless just reading a book. I mean, it's just sad that this rivalry came to this point. And even as a college football fan, as a, especially as an ACC fan, you need this game to mean something. Right, And it's just so sad that this game doesn't mean what it used to mean anymore. So you come into this year, that was a lot of history, but you come into this year, it's 2019, Clemson's the number two team in the nation, Florida State's 3-2, and two. most of the year Florida State's looked like they looked last year, right, which is not that good. Although if you really think about it, Florida State's losses now that you see them in hindsight, they aren't terrible. They lost to Boise State, and the way they lost to Boise State was terrible and inexcusable. But Boise State's an undefeated team and probably the best group of five team, right? It's probably between them and SMU now that UCF has kind of fallen off the map. So, you know, there we are with that. And then they lose to Virginia on the road. Virginia's only loss is Notre Dame, and that was because they got, you know, sacked, stripped, and fumbled recovery touchdowns twice on them in that game. So Virginia's a pretty good team, probably the second best ACC team behind Clemson. But, you know, you're sitting there and you're just like, hmm, can Florida State even cover this game, right? They're 28 and a half point underdogs. And let me tell you why this game is super important for the ACC. If you're a college football fan and an ACC fan, you really should be rooting for Florida State to at least keep this game close. Because if Willie Taggart wants to even have a shot at keeping his job, he doesn't have to win this game, obviously. That would be too much of an ask. But he's got to keep this game close. Because Willie Taggart was brought into Florida State to be a recruiter, right? They want him to be a Dabo Sweeney. Not a Jimbo Fisher, a guy who dials up all his own plays and is a schemer, but a guy who is a CEO, who makes a culture, and who recruits big-time players and then delegates to good coordinators who make stuff happen. Well, if Dabo Sweeney and Clemson boat race Florida State once again, he's going to be able to go into all the living rooms of those recruits and say, look, guys, you see that? There's the difference. 
Florida State is not back. There's a huge difference between them and us now. It, it is not the same thing. You want to win ACC championships, go to playoffs, you come to Clemson. You don't go to Florida State. And if Florida State wants to go into the living rooms of recruits and say, hey, you know, you should come to Florida State over Clemson, over Florida, the in-state rival who's now back, right? They need to at least make this game close. A, w- a win would be huge. If they could somehow win this game, I think it would be the biggest win I can remember as a Florida State fan, like as far as like games that they're not supposed to win or not expected to win, right? It would it would be right up there with that 2013 Clemson win, where even though we were a top five team going into that game, a lot of people didn't think we were going to win because it's Death Valley, we don't win. And honestly, that's how I feel this year. The last time I remember feeling this like uh, eerie about going into a football game was honestly uh, the 2009 Florida game, where we didn't have our starting quarterback. It was Tebow's last game, and you just felt like we didn't have a freaking chance. And of course, we got blown out in that game. Now, I will say I feel a little better about this game because Florida State's better than they were then, I think. But the problem is it's just a bad matchup, and it's bad timing, right? So Clemson already had their scare two weeks ago when North Carolina almost beat them. So now they're pissed off, right? And they had a bye week which I actually think benefits them more than Florida State because Brent Venables is one of those guys who is just a genius defensive coordinator. The more time you give him, the worse it is. And Florida State's offense kind of relies on tricking opponents, especially since we can't block it up with this offensive line. We have to get you on the ropes. We have to be doing our tempo thing or a team like Clemson's just going to get a sack every play, right? We don't have the guys up front to block Clemson. Clemson doesn't even have to blitz and they should be able to sack Florida State. So this matchup's just not friendly. Now I will say Florida State's defense has been playing better, but we haven't played a quarterback even close to this yet. I mean, the guy at Boise State is probably the best quarterback we've played in comparison to Lawrence. I know Perkins at Virginia was a better runner and athlete, but as far as like pocket passer who can get the ball downfield, that Boise State quarterback was probably the best guy we've played, and that was his first game ever in college. He was a true freshman, and he did pretty good against Florida State. We were hitting him hard, and he held in there. So I really don't see Florida State winning this game in any way. It would just be too much to ask, but I really hope they can keep it close. I mean, if we can just get within 14 at the end, or I think the main goal is let's have Trevor Lawrence play in the game during the fourth quarter at some point. That would be a victory for Florida State. And it's sad that we have to go back to moral victories at a place like Florida State, but that's just kind of where Florida State is right now. So hopefully this game can be entertaining at the very least. I'm very glad that we have this giant slate of games to go with it so that if it is a terrible blowout game, I can sink my sorrows away and just kind of watch other football games where if this was like the only big matchup, then I'd kind of be stuck with that. But yeah. Um, now, before we move on and I end this, I want to talk about some of the other games going on and what we can learn from them. Um, we got Notre Dame-USC this weekend. This is a big game, right? USC kind of needs to win to save their season because they already have two losses, right? And now one of their losses isn't a Pac-12 game, and their Pac-12 loss was to Washington. So USC is still in contention for the South. And they could make a Rose Bowl, right, which would be really big. Clay Hilton could keep his job. So USC's fine for that. However, Notre Dame really needs to win this game to keep their playoff hopes alive. They already dropped that game at Georgia. It was a really close game, so they're still alive. An 11-1 Notre Dame, team, Notre Dame team could make the playoff. That very easily could happen. I don't think they completely control their own destiny, but if certain things fall their way regarding some other teams and some of the conferences, they could get this done. Now, obviously, there's been a lot of Notre Dame-USC classics over the years. My fiance and I have been watching some of them because she's a USC fan, but, you know, she didn't grow up watching college football like I did, so I was showing her some of the classic games. And obviously, the most classic game, I think, in the series of the history was the 2005 game, also known as the Bush Push, right? Notre Dame brings out these green uniforms. There's all this hype. They really think they're going to knock off USC, who had won, like, 30-something games straight going into this or something like that. Two-time defending national champions. Well, depending on how you want to look at that 2003 season. But 
They go into this game, right? And think of the athletes, right? This is when USC has Matt Leinard at quarterback. They got Reggie Bush and Lendale White. They got Dwayne Jarrett, Steve Smith, Patrick Turner, all these receivers. They're loaded, right? And this is when Notre Dame had Brady Quinn. And then they had those two huge receivers, Samarja and uh, Stovall, right? They had Walker at running back. So this was just a big-time matchup. And this game was back and forth, back and forth. Reggie Bush making plays, Brady Quinn making plays, throwing the ball. And it all came down to this last drive. Notre Dame is up by three, I think. I think it's 31-28. to 28. Notre Dame's got the lead. And it's fourth and nine. USC's backed up in their own territory. Fourth and nine. They get the first down. They can, they're alive. They don't get the first down. They lose. And Matt Leiner comes to the line of scrimmage and makes an audible. You can tell he's changing the play at the line of scrimmage, which is really crazy now in hindsight, right? Because then he hikes the ball, throws a perfect dime streak route to Dwayne Jarrett, who catches it and then starts booking it down the field. He gets tackled at like the 10-yard line, right? Just crazy fourth down conversion. Unbelievable play. And then, you know, USC tries to punch it in a couple times. Long story short, we get down to seven seconds left. USC's got the ball at the goal line. Matt Leinard hikes the ball, is trying to do a QB sneak. He's kind of getting stuffed, right? He's not getting in. Then he kind of spins off to his left, and then Reggie Bush comes in and shoves him into the end zone to give USC the win. And that's why it's called the Bush push. And then Notre Dame is just heartbroken. They thought they had him, you know, but they didn't get it. Devastating loss for Notre Dame. Huge win for USC. Never forget that game. That's the first Notre Dame-USC game I remember watching. Again, that 05 season was one of my first real years watching football. I'm a fifth grader, and I'll, I'll never forget that game. I love re-watching that game. When I showed my fiance the other night, she was like, she didn't really know what happened yet. So she's just kind of sitting there like on edge, almost like we're watching it live, which was really fun. And yeah, that was a classic game. It'd be nice if we could get a nice game this weekend from Notre Dame-USC, but we'll see. Anyway, moving on to some other games, Alabama-Texas A&M. Now, I do think that this game could be closer than people think. I know people are completely writing off A&M because, well, they lost two games, and then last week they barely beat Arkansas, who's like the worst team in the SEC. But they do have Jimbo Fisher. They do have talent there. And Alabama might be in that sleeper mode because... They've been hearing everybody talk about how A&M isn't good anymore, but they have Nick Saban, and Nick Saban knows that A&M is still good, so I'm sure he has the troops ready to go. I would like to at least see a close game in this matchup, but I wouldn't be surprised if Alabama blows A&M out. It seems like ever since A&M beat Alabama with Johnny Menzel that one year that there's been a lot of hype going into those games ever since, but... Alabama usually just boat races them. I mean, even the next year with Johnny Menzel, that game did end up being close, but Alabama had like a 28-7 to lead in that game before Manziel brought them back, and then Alabama still won. And then it seems like all the years since then, whether A&M is ranked or not, that game's just a blowout in favor of Alabama. So again, I don't, I'm not necessarily rooting for Alabama to lose, but it would be nice to see just some changes in the SEC. And we are seeing them, right? We're seeing LSU look like a big-time contender. Florida, obviously Georgia, Auburn's right there. But it would be really crazy if Alabama lost this game. That would really just blow the SEC wide open. Because you know Alabama's going to rally if they do lose and probably still win the rest of their games, get back in the playoff, because that's what they do. But it would put a lot more pressure on them, right? And it just opens up a lot of doors. So I'm really wanting to see how exciting that game can be. And then the other two games I'm excited to see, you got Wisconsin-Michigan State. And this game, this game has some history too, all these Big Ten games do. But for me, what I'm really excited about in this game is, this is going to be the big measuring stick for Ohio State, in my opinion, because a lot of people think Ohio State's the best team in the country. And Wisconsin has to be your second pick for Big Ten. I personally think it's Penn State, and I'll get to that in a second, but... Wisconsin is a big-time team, right? They got Jordan Taylor. He's just a crazy good running back. And we saw how Ohio State played Michigan State last week. And that game was close in the beginning, but Ohio State was able to pull away, and it wasn't very competitive in the second half, and Ohio State just looked like far and away the better team. But you knew that Michigan State was good. It wasn't like Nebraska where Ohio State could have just hung any number they wanted. 
it was a good game against a respectful opponent, but Ohio State still looked far and away like the better team. And to me, that's why I would have them ranked number one right now, that being Ohio State, because of the way they looked in the Michigan State game. So a lot of people think Wisconsin is the team in the Big Ten that's going to challenge Ohio State. I think it's Penn State. But a lot of people think it's Wisconsin. So if Wisconsin like barely beats Michigan State or loses, that would make you think, okay, maybe Wisconsin isn't right there with Ohio State, and there is a bigger Big Ten gap than we think. So that game is going to be really interesting to see what happens. Another game that's really going to explain a lot about the Big Ten is this Penn State-Iowa game. Because like I was just saying, I personally think that Penn State is the second best team in the Big Ten, and I think they're right there with Ohio State. Right, especially since nobody's talking about Penn State yet, I think they can go into that Ohio State game. I know it's in Columbus, but I think they can really shock some people. And I wouldn't be surprised if Penn State is the Big Ten champion and playoff representative this year. In fact, that's kind of my prediction. It's either going to be Penn State, Wisconsin, or Ohio State, obviously. But I don't know why people are sleeping on Penn State. I know they lost Trace McSorley. You know they don't have Barkley anymore. But if you look at recruiting rankings, the team in the Big Ten that's been recruiting right up there with Ohio State, not quite to that level, but is getting close, has been Penn State over the years. So Penn State's at a point where they've got a lot of juniors and seniors that were four and five star guys that Franklin's been recruiting, right? A lot of people didn't think their offense was that explosive early in the season, but it's looking a lot better. I'm telling you, the Penn State defense is legit. But they're playing Iowa, who just had that crazy game last week against Michigan, where it was like, I think 10-3 to was the final score, and that game went back and forth. It was a defensive, you know, typical Big Ten game. So if Penn State plays Iowa really close, that is also going to explain some things because then you're going, okay, maybe Penn State's more on the Michigan level than the Ohio State level. But if they blow out Iowa or have a big-time offensive performance against Iowa, that's going to make me think that my gut is right and Penn State's more on the Ohio State level of things. So this weekend is going to be phenomenal. Entertainment should be insane. Even there's a lot of games that I didn't even mention that are big, right? You got like Arizona playing Washington State should be a good one. There's a lot of other big games out there this weekend. Just every slot is full of exciting games. But it's also almost like not a separation Saturday, but a Saturday that's going to define the season in a lot of ways. And you're going to really be able to learn about a lot of teams. So I hope everybody can enjoy it. If you're like me, you're going to be on the couch all freaking day watching football and we will see you guys next week i'm still working on my pay for play pod again like i said i want that to be a really in-depth podcast where i talk about that stuff and i want to make sure i understand things right when you're talking about bills right you got to get kind of your lawyer hat on and, and understand a lot of the ins and outs of things and i want to make sure i give good information on that so i'm still working on the information for that that that'll be out sometime before the season ends i promise but anyway Right now, who cares about that? Because we've got the now, the present, the 2019 season, and this weekend's going to be one to remember, one that probably defines the season. So enjoy it, and I'll see you guys next week. (laughs) 